Daily Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 158, What Flight School's Best for You, coming up in this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Eric Crump, Larry Overstreet, Russ Rosleski, Tom Frick, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. Well, folks, welcome to the Stuck Mike Avcast. You know, many people make a New Year resolution to obtain their pilot certificate or new rating. You know, before the year ends, and to help you move towards your aviation goal, we'll be discussing what the best flight school is for you. Well, joining us today is a guest host, Dan Freeman of the Accelerated Flight School podcast. You know, Dan and I uh, recently were doing a podcast together on another show, uh, Aviation Careers Podcast, and he recently finished his commercial pilot certificate, and now he's looking to complete his flight instructor certificate in the new year. And this has led to a discussion on how to find or how to pick a flight school for this certificate. Uh, With that in mind, we thought it'd be a great topic to help you decide What's the best flight school for you in obtaining that new rating certificate or endorsement or whatever you're doing in the new year? Hey, Dan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here with all these people. And also, welcome everybody else to the podcast. Uh, This evening, we have Russ Rosleski. Russ, welcome. Thanks. And uh, we have Tom Frick. Tom, welcome. Hey, Carl. And uh, Victoria Newville. Welcome, Victoria. Hey, hey. And last but not least, Rick Felty in the Arctic tundra of the north right now. <laughs> hello, hello. <laughs> and, and digging out from the snow. I think you a still... A little bit. Yeah. A little yeah. bit of an early one, yeah. Well, boy, I tell you, this is going to be a lot of fun. And I, I know that a lot of us have some New Year's resolutions. I've talked about getting my glider rating and um, all different things that I've wanted to finish up this year. How do you pick a flight school? I'm kind of going through that process now. So this is going to be really cool to talk about this. Uh, no matter what level you, you are at right now, it's really important to figure out what, what's a flight school that's best for you. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit about along those lines. This will be a good one to re-listen to in the future. And I think I will, too, when I'm starting to really find out which one I'm going to choose. Let's do the pre-flight. Before we get started, a word from our sponsors, AviationCareersPodcast.com. Like I talked about before, we inspire tomorrow's aviation professionals through career coaching, interview preparation, and education. Uh, Go to AviationCareersPodcast.com to find out more and listen to our free podcast every Monday we release that. Uh, As a matter of fact, one of the recent releases and another part in the series about how to become a flight attendant, and uh, our guest host is uh, actually part of that there. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Uh, first, we have a couple announcements. I will be, and I think some other of our co-hosts will be at the U.S. Sport Aviation Expo. And I forgot to ask uh, the co-host who's going to be there this year, but I definitely will be there. And that's going to be from January 24th to 27th. Is anybody else going to be there? Just wondering. Maybe crickets? Maybe? No? Uh, yeah, I'll, I, I can try to get down. That's what I'm hoping to. I mean, uh, I've, I've tried for two years already now, and I can't get, seem to get down there, but I'll try again yeah it's tough i mean i've i've been trying to get there too luckily i am 
only, what am I, uh, maybe an hour away from there and have some relatives. So it's going to be kind of cool to be able to uh, run down there and, and listen to some of the awesome speakers. By the way, uh, this, you, sometimes you go back and forth and call this the Affordable Aircraft Expo, a light sport aircraft expo. Uh, it's Sebring U.S. Sport Aviation Expo to me. It's been that way. It's the 14th annual event. And this year, it's kind of cool. They have uh, some really neat speakers. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Captain Romani, the first female fixed-wing pilot in the Afghan Air Force, will be speaking. Uh, Peggy Chambrian, who's the president and founder of Women in Aviation International. Uh, Kat Swain is an instructor uh, for military and civilian pilots and now is a drone expert. And, of course, uh, the, the big one is Dr. Story Musgrave, and he's an astronaut. He performed the first shuttle spacewalk on Challenger's first flight into space. So this is going to be really cool, and we'll be there uh, with Sun and Fun Radio also doing some interviews. And you can listen to those on liveatc.net slash SNF, of course, after the show. Uh, and don't forget what we've been doing is we've been announcing these events, facebook.com slash stuckmikeavcast. I put that out there on the Facebook page, and I think I did it properly. Instead of adding our own event, we just copied that over there. So if you want to go to the event, uh, it has all the information right there on the Facebook page. Uh, so uh, please go visit it, and we will also, whenever we're visiting somewhere, one of our co-hosts is somewhere, we'll just say, hey, this is where we are. Come visit us at this airport, etc." cetera. Uh, as a matter of fact, Turbo the Flying Dog will also be out there, hopefully. I think it's, a, you, aren't you doing a Christmas thing this year again? Is that possible? We are already did it oh that's right darn yeah too late it, it, it downpoured the rain was horrible but we had 111 kids come up and meet turbo and santa oh that's cool that's really awesome now entering cruise flight let's get going with the, uh, today's topic you know what it what flight school is best for you but before we do get into the the nitty-gritty on that Dan, I, I kind of want a little introduction uh, as to who Dan is. Dan Freeman, Accelerated Flight School podcast. Talk a little bit about your podcast and and also, you know, what's happening next and why we're discussing this today. Oh, sure. Thank you. Um, yeah, as you said, it's Accelerated Flight School podcast. And the reason I created this podcast is it, it really was just a way for me to kind of record my experience as I went through an accelerated flight school so I can look back and you know kind of reflect on what I did and um, and then I thought well maybe I can actually present this to the public and, and kind of help other people I, I found that one of the biggest things in aviation is we all look out for each other we um, you know we help each other out the best we can and I thought well maybe this was an opportunity to do that so I got my my initial pilot certificate about 20 years ago and I started the process over in March of this year, and um, and I chose an accelerated flight school. There was a lot of decision making in that process, which is exactly what we're talking about today. And um, then I decided to create the podcast and and continue on my adventure. And it, you've done a great job with it. I love uh, following you and and the trials and tribulations and. Uh, along the way, what's been most interesting for me, Dan, is the fact that uh, I think your expectation was something other than what actually happened in reality, uh, although you finished your ratings, et cetera. I think your opinion has changed over time, hasn't it? Yeah, and this, uh, it's really great that you make that point, Carl, because I, what we're doing today and, and the, the point of this topic 
it, it would have been helpful for me <laughs> to have listened to the show we're about to do when I started the program. I, I think I still probably would have made the same decision, but I would have known what I was getting into beforehand. Um, the accelerated uh, uh, fight school, it, it, it ate me up. It spit me out. I had a really difficult time with it. And as we'll get into later on, um, you know, availability, uh, costs, all these kind of factors, um, they, they, they're very important for you to understand before you make a decision. Um, so, you know, I struggled with that in the end. So where are you right now and what are you looking towards doing next? All right. So I finished uh, all of my ratings um, at the uh, mid-November and I decided that I would take a couple months off and work my flight attendant job, recoup some some finances. And about three weeks into that idea, I was going crazy not being in the cockpit of an aircraft. So I decided I can't do it. I got to get into the CFI school. Um, I've applied at some local places to try to get a uh, you know entry level position. It's very difficult with 250 hours. So the natural step is to uh, you know pursue the CFI. Um, reading and uh, instruct. So what I'm doing now is I'm going out and um, interviewing flight schools in my area, try to find the best fit for me. Cool. And hopefully we'll be able to help with that through this whole discussion today. And if you're listening right now, we're hopefully going to help you find a flight school and maybe give you the tools to find one uh, that's perfect for you uh, in getting your next rating certificate, to any type of sign off, etc. It's really it's really exciting uh, when you do something new to put that on your certificate or put in your logbook, etc. So let's get started. And uh, we'll start off with the, the first thing I think is the most important. And I think, and this is always, always important, no matter what you do in life, the first thing you have to ask yourself is why are you going to flight school? And I, I think that's incredibly important. Dan, that's why I asked you that. You know, a good example here is Dan. Dan is looking to get his rating, his flight instructor rating, so he can actually both make money and also build time towards his rating and towards his other ratings that he wants to get with the ultimate goal dan is of course you want to fly for an airline is that correct yep that's correct i'd like to go back to the airline i'm working for as a flight attendant yeah so and i think yeah we mentioned you are a flight attendant and that's pretty exciting so you have the a very unique uh, perspective from uh, behind the the door, the closed door there. So uh, it's really it's such an exciting career being in in travel and being in the airlines. Uh, but the first step is to actually usually get your flight instructor certificate. And uh, so finding a school is number one. Why? Why do you want to go to a flight school? That's very important. So for instance, uh, some of us would like to go and find a flight school that can teach me, and this happened to me a lot when I was instructing, teach me how to use my airplane as, as, a, as a, a, a tool, a tool for my business to fly back and forth uh, from one part of the state to the next. Had a lot of students that wanted to do that and also go on trips, etc. If your goal, though, is to fly upside down uh, or to fly without an engine, well, gosh, you know that I wasn't able to help you at the flight school I was at. You'd have to find an aerobatic school. So that's that's really a very important uh, question to ask right there. I know that uh, there's many different schools out there, and there's very few schools that can be everything to everybody. It's got to be a really, really huge school. 
And another thing is that if you're looking for a career, that's a different type of school usually, although I'm a big fan of uh, teaching and learning at some of the smaller schools. If you're looking at getting into a career in aviation, you do get a very round and, and robust feel for the aviation community in general. Uh, but the next thing that uh, I have on here, I don't know if anybody else has comments on, on that one. I think that's a, a really important one. Is, yeah, I think, you know, it, I think it is really important, Carl. Um, I mean, definitely if – you know, like you said, if you're going for a career, there's a little bit different focus on what you're looking for in a flight school versus a lot of the folks that I work with are are hobby pilots. Uh, some of them might be looking for something in the future, but I mean, the the two demands and the expectations are are completely different. As and uh, it, it kind of gets into the next one you're about to bring up. You know, how long do you want it to take? Uh, that very much depends on uh, where, where you're going to school and what kind of time you have and commitments and uh, full-time jobs or can you take time off and that whole thing. So the two are really, really tied together. But you, you, have, you have to have a good idea of what you're hoping to get out of this, I think, before you, before you can really even start to nail down any of the other things we're going to talk about. So that's a great point, Russ, in that if they, if someone came to you at your school and said, hey, I want to fly a crop duster, would you be able to help them? No, I wouldn't. <laughs> but, but, but I'm sure we could find someone that, someone that could, certainly. Right. So everybody has, you know, we always think about flying the Cessna 172, the, the Warriors, et cetera. But there's many different avenues to go and fly, you know, flying helicopters. That's a lot of fun, too. And, you know, we can help you out, though. That's the cool thing is, uh, you know, just ask and people can put you in the right direction. So uh, you brought up a very good point, uh, Russ, as far as the, how long will you be training I think the majority of people out there, and this has been in my experience, have had actual day jobs and uh, or jobs in general, maybe nine to five. Uh, Russ, what type of students do you have? Are they primarily people that work for a living? Well, yeah, I, and, I mean exclusively, I would say, <laughs> for, and at least in the last several years. I mean, we understand we our audience here consists of people who have full time jobs, who are well established in their careers. Uh, all the way to people who are retired and want to learn how to fly to, you know, people who are just starting out, you know, 18 years old or something and looking to do this as a career. And they, maybe they have the time, uh, to go to school uh, full time and, and get, get started. So yeah, definitely very distinct, uh, segments of the population, different demographics, I suppose. And that, that all really plays into everything we're talking about. So we should uh, should be able to have a little bit of discussion for everybody, I think. Oh, yeah. And what's interesting is the fact that you brought this up is there are people that can dedicate full-time, like they go on a vacation, et cetera, uh, or they're retired. So they can actually do this uh, without any interruptions, uh, like family, et cetera. It's really, it's really dynamic, and that's what's really uh, cool about it. I love taking people in that are like 65, 70 and say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm yours for the next month or two. Let's go do something. Let's go fly and learn how to fly. And, and that's a blast. And then you have the other uh, segment of the population that's, uh, you know, in a school, in a college, uh, collegiate aviation, which I'm involved with. And, you know, everybody there, this is their job and their part-time jobs are, are really a very small part of their life just to make some extra money. Um, but those those are the schools we're not really focusing on, and that's you know a whole other discussion. But uh, if you're looking at that, there's a lot of directories out there as far as what flight schools you can go to that are with degree programs too. But uh, and how long you'll be training? Uh, one of the things uh, we'd like to talk about there, and one thing I want to bring up is 
where you know when you're doing this, you have to sit down a, on a you know with your spouse or your significant other and say, hey, listen, I want to become a pilot. And to do that, you know, it's not like driving a car. It's going to be a little bit difficult. It's going to be a challenge. And that's the reason I want to do it. But I need to plan. I need to be able to come to the airport, you know, at a certain number of times per week. And I'm going to get into that because I want to ask some of the other co-hosts here about that. And you need to put out that plan, whether it's five days a week or one day a week, et cetera. So from our flight instructors that are very active right now, I kind of want to hear from both uh, Tom and Russ. So Tom, as far as, you know, suggesting the folks that are doing this as a hobby, which most of us do, what would you tell them if they were to come in and say, hey, listen, I want to learn this. How many times should I come in per week? Yeah, and it's you're right. You get all sorts of walks of life that come through the door and, and, and want to learn how to fly. And, and the amount of time that um, they can throw at it differs greatly. Um, most people, what I suggest is to commit to a minimum of twice a week, understanding that you're probably going to get weathered out at least one of those days. Um, not so much here in Florida, depending on the time of year, we usually get pretty good weather all the way through, but we can be weathered out, you know? And, um, so if, if you don't have that commitment to keep the head of steam going, I have students that have taken onto that and, and have made that commitment. Um, others, they can't quite do that. Um, I have one guy who travels for a living, so he goes in fits and starts. He'll show up and say, okay, I, I'm, I'm in town for three weeks. I want to do as much as I can. And he'll book whatever he, time he can. And then poof, he's gone again for a month or so. So his training ends up being a little different because it's, um, um, it's almost like a three steps forward, two steps back kind of thing. Cause every time he comes back in again, he's got to kind of refresh to where he was before, wrap his head back around his training and, and start over from that point, as opposed to the person who's made that commitment for, um, flying twice a week and, and they're very steady and they're coming in and they're, they're keeping their head in the game and there's none of that, um, falling back, if you will, um, that, that, uh, that tends to creep in on, uh, the, the former type of training I was just talking about. Yeah, that's tough. You know, time or money. You know, it's uh, some of these folks just don't have the time, and that's uh, and they have a day job. I mean, you have to make sure that's your priority, especially. It's kind of cool. I, I'm sure you've seen this before when people say, "Hey, I'm on vacation for two weeks. Can I just bang as much out as I can?" That's a, that's a blast. I don't know if you've been able to do that yet. Sure, and 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 like I said, I have I have I actually have a student right now who. Um, is a quote unquote a snowbird. So he owns a business up in the uh, in the northeast and works it during the summer. And his business basically dries up in the winter time. So he uh, has a a secondary home here in in the area that I live in. And uh, when he comes down in the winter time, that's what he wants to do. Is he wants to fly? Um, he he worked on it as far as he could last winter. And I'm expecting him to show back up here in about another week. And we're going to pick up where he left off and and see how much more we can get done. And for him, it's just a retirement hobby thing. You know, it's something he's always wanted to do, and, and he's fine with the way that the training is progressing, you know. Um, doesn't have that career goal-oriented uh, type thing going on or is not trying to get a, a rating yesterday because of, um, you know, um, commitments that they've made. Uh, I have a student who's uh, about to um, take a check ride for his CFI, and, and that's, you know, he's at the point now where he's – over the training he's like i'm uh, i'm done i want to get this done so i can start making money doing this and you know those of us that are flight instructors know that uh doing this as a career isn't exactly the way to make a lot of money 
<laughs> no, it isn't. And, you know, it's interesting what you just said about the snowbirds. Every uh, different area has its times when things get busier and, uh, you know, usually we say the weekends, etc. cetera. Uh, it's interesting to see those people. And you and I both uh, taught at uh, schools that are similar in that we have an influx of pilots. They come down with their airplane and say, hey, I want to do my instrument rating, etc. And uh, and I'm gra- glad you brought that up. Most of these people, even though they're doing this as a hobby, some of it, some of them approach it as if they're this is their profession. I like that. I mean, I love the professionalism of it. And uh, just because it's their hobby, and I think we can all agree on this, doesn't mean you shouldn't look at this uh, from a very professional standpoint. And it's a very it's important to do that is to make this a priority in your life because you're formulating uh, those tools and you're, you're formulating all the knowledge right now. Uh, going forward in your career for the rest of your life, uh, your flying life, I should say. So, um, you know, Russ, how about you? I mean, looking, you're in a different area. You're in the middle of Oklahoma. It uh, weather-wise, things are a little bit different there, aren't they? Well, yeah, we we do get some weather here, uh, but I'll agree with with pretty much everything Tom said. Uh, you need to schedule at least two times a week. Planning that you might only get one. If you can schedule three times a week, that's great because. Maybe you only get two <laughs> or you luck out and you get all three and that's great. You make some good progress that way. Uh, but you, you gotta, you gotta allow for, um, for weather delays and maintenance and just, you know, life availability. That's, that's one thing I see, you know, if, you know, we're, if we were all starting out and we we're 18 and we could dedicate full time to this, that, that would be one thing. But, you know, with, with most of my, clients who are like, like I said, uh, have full-time jobs and families and stuff, stuff happens. So, you know, it's not even just a scheduling issue with the airplane or maintenance. Sometimes it's, you know, your, well, your wife's birthday is this week, or, you know, something like that. So, uh, so you got to account for all those things and give yourself, give yourself plenty of time. Uh, don't, you know, we, we all here. Yes. You could probably get your private pilot certificate in in two months right if if you if you pushed really hard but that's not realistic for most folks unless you're able to to keep full time so it's kind of like doing any kind of home improvement project or anything you know take your estimate of how long it's going to take and and i don't know double it or something you know uh as as kind of a rule of thumb because because everything just just takes longer and we're going to talk of course i think later about how you can kind of help that along but uh, give yourself plenty of time and don't have unrealistic expectations. So you live in an environment that there's snow and there's bad weather and you get thunderstorms, etc. Um, you hear a lot of comments uh, from people that are from up north and don't live in Florida. Well, you know, it was easy for you because you live in Florida. I was like, well, you know, I did my private and my instrument actually up in uh, Pennsylvania and New Jersey and... You know, I didn't. It wasn't that bad. I yeah. I guess we we do have better weather here, but in general, I found people would take uh, just as long, especially if you're just going two, three times a week. Because yeah, in Florida we have thunderstorms, and there is that risk of of you being canceled. So, um, have you noticed that at all? I mean, have you heard from people that have moved up north, et cetera, or uh, in your experience, how much has weather really been a factor in your training? Russ. Well, I, I did, uh, I was an instructor in Ohio for oh, a year or so. And, and we did get weathered out quite a bit in, in the winter, but I, I think that you kind of make up for it and, you know, maybe you don't schedule to do, you know, a lot of training in the winter, but the summer is pretty nice. Or when you do have a, a break in the weather, man, 
the airplanes were booked solid. <laughs> you know, so so everybody was everybody was getting in as much training as they could. But yeah, you know, weather does does play a large factor, of course, in aviation. That's why you know, most of the big schools are in places like Florida and Arizona and Texas, right? <laughs> That's a good point. As a matter of fact, Dan, I think you were in Arizona, is that right? I'm in Las Vegas, actually. Oh, okay. So that's where you did your Same flight training. Similar, yeah. similar, yeah. So uh, that weather where you are actually is good all year round, isn't it? Well, <laughs> def- define good because um, it's it's flyable most of the time. Um, if you can tolerate 110 degrees in the summer and you know, nice and nice and chilly, uh, you know, down to 30 degrees in the winter, then yeah, it's good. It's good weather, but. Um, I, what, what I, what I'd like to say though, about, um, choosing a, a flight school about basically about how long you want to attend the school. This is something I had to, to really consider, um, when I was looking into schools back in March, uh, I, I already have a career, so I, I had to take time off essentially to, to pursue my, my career in flying. So time was a, was a huge issue for me, but what was, is tightly, bound to that is cost and what you have to consider is that um is is how you're going to pay for it and we'll get into the the cost and stuff later but the different types of schools that you go to such as the accelerated school i went to the 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 way you pay for that's very different than how potentially than how you're going to pay for uh sort of a pay-as-you-go kind of what you guys are talking about there so um a lot of the stuff is very intertwined with each other but um with how long you plan on giving yourself to do the fight school, you got to really consider um, how you're going to pay for that because there's different different ways to do that. So that's a consideration then, Dan, in doing this full-time or part-time. In other words, uh, and how do we define full-time or part-time? Uh, part of it is, is the way you look at it. Uh, are you in the books every night? Are you studying? You may not be at the airport flying, uh, but are you thinking about it? Uh, to me, that that's almost like being a full-time student. Uh, and are you out there five days a week? Are you there three days a week? You know, are you doing this maybe once a week? And and just as you know, I think Tom had said, it's going to take a lot longer, and you have to relearn a lot if you're taking a lot of breaks in your training. So, uh, but part-time is normal. I mean, that's how I did all my ratings. That's how most people do their ratings. Is uh, you're only able to come in say twice a week or if there are times you can come in five times a week then there's times you can't come in but once a month uh so you have to go back to oh yeah now i'm gonna remember how to land this thing and say so, yeah, yeah pull up to go up push down to go down kind of thing and it really does happen you have to relearn things and it does uh intrude on your costs quite a bit uh when you're doing it full-time or part-time but for the most part uh, I think the majority are going to be doing it part time. I have uh, done one of those acceler- well, I've done a couple accelerated flight schools where I went away for two weeks to get it banging out, and that was really cool. But even before going there, I had to actually do a lot of studying uh, before I actually showed up. Uh, so there's some opportunities there. You see the advertisements, and I know we've had some listeners write in and ask about uh, some of these accelerated, especially on the instrument training. And, uh, you know, some of these courses you can do like in two weeks. The cool thing about having it take longer is you have more exposure and you have more time with the instructor and you have a lot of times a more varied experience. Uh, So and make sure it's fun, too. I mean, that's that's really, really important. Uh, By doing it full time, I think sometimes we, we forget the fun factor. And I think that's really, really important. So, uh, most of us, again, will be doing it part time. Also, 
one of the things that I think is um, that we talk about, and this is on our list, is will you be local or will you travel? And by this, uh, put that one in there to mean, are you going to fly at an airport that's close to you? Are you going to fly at an airport that's an hour drive or a two-hour drive? And that can change things. Or are you going to actually do your flight instruction at a school that's a 1,000 miles away because you're there during the week. And I've had students like that where they would actually fly into town on a Monday. We do lessons three times in a week, and then they fly back home because they were working in the Tampa Bay area, but they live somewhere else. And that's kind of a unique uh, situation. But I will say this, and I'd love to hear other opinions on this. I found it's, it's really good to have a, a airport close to you. Uh, I have driven a half hour, 45 minutes, uh, up to an hour. But it really is good to have one close by because you wind up going there more often and actually hanging out and talking to people and, and getting more education by just being there. Um, and, and going to visit your different airports is important, but having that primary airport where you do your training uh, on a local basis really does help a lot. Um, I'm curious to hear from, from our flight, active flight instructors, uh, what is the radius? And do, maybe you know, maybe you don't. How far do your students actually travel? Maybe, Russ, you can can start with this. Are your students coming from you know hours away, half hour away, or are they right around the corner? <laughs> well, one actually lives a mile and a half from the airport. So. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> I, he, he could walk to work or walk to the, the, the airport if he needed to. Uh, but, no, most are, you know, 20 minutes maybe 30 at the most. Yeah, pretty close. But, but my situation is, you know, probably a little different than Tom's. I'll be interested to hear from him because I work almost exclusively with aircraft owners. Uh, I, am also a member of a flying club. So those people may come from a little bit further away, but the aircraft owners, well, they usually have their airplane hangered somewhat near their house. So, uh, so when they, when they need to come in for, you know, they want to get an instrument rating or some kind of refresher training or something, they're, they're pretty close. But I, I will add to what you were saying before, uh, they're go, going more than, say, 30 minutes or an hour really becomes tedious. I mean, I think we've all done it and we'd, we'd do it if we had to. But, man, if you got to get in the car and, and drive an hour or so to get to the airport for a lesson and then you, know, you get weathered out or the plane's broken and it's, it's – it's, it can be really tough and, and really kind of exhausting. Uh, but when we're talking about accelerated flight training, there's actually, I think, a benefit to traveling, you know, like you said, a thousand miles or something. You know, if you can, if you can swing it, you know, given your, uh, your, your home life, your family, finances and all that, I think there's a, a somewhat of a benefit to getting away from home being able to focus on one thing, you know, whatever, live in a hotel or whatever you need to do uh, for those few weeks uh, and really bang it out, really focus, really concentrate. You you get home, you can study, you don't have to worry about, you know, taking a dog for a walk or whatever. So I think there's a, there can be a benefit there if you can work it. Yeah, and that's uh, interesting. It really did help me when I when I did mine as far as being far away. Uh, but I did miss being home. Uh, I was, you know, in, in a hotel room, that kind of thing. But good point, great point. You know, Tom, how about you? Most of your students, I, this is kind of interesting because a lot of your students, like you said, there are snowbirds. Uh, uh, but what is, if you know, the average distance most of these folks travel? I'm going to say that most people travel in 15 miles or less. 
Okay. Now, I live in a pretty, I live in a pretty populated area. You know, I mean, you know what it's like here. I mean, there's, I'm on the central west coast of Florida and there's 3 million people living locally here. So it's, it's, it's quite saturated. So with all those people, you know, there's not that many people coming. Now our flight school is, I mean, we have 23 instructors and 16 aircraft, um, six of those are helicopters. And yes, some of those instructors are helicopter instructors. Um, but, um, we, we've got a good mix of people and airplanes, which, which seems to give us a pretty good diversity of students and they come from, from far and wide, but most of them are fairly local. Um, I've got a couple of them that are, um, driving from across the bay and they're driving maybe 45 minutes to get here. But I would say most of them were in about a 15, maybe even 20 mile radius of where we are. We're at two different locations. Um, we have two different airfields that we're flying out of that are about five nautical miles apart from each other. And that brings up an interesting point when you talk about drive time. And, and I know Russ also mentioned this. If you're talking to somebody in the New York area, and I know I've lived up in that area, a 20-minute drive will maybe get you to the grocery store. So those folks are used to driving long distances or times to their to their actual jobs and also even you know, distances and times to their instruction. I hear of people, and I had students actually when I was in New Jersey teaching, they would actually come from Long Island, which is about an hour and a half drive for some of these folks to two hours because this wow. is where they get away, <clears throat> the only way they could find something uh, that fit with them. You know, We had people in our club that were you know, an hour and a half, two hours away, and that's crazy. But it's interesting. With that said, you think that's crazy, but it really isn't because if you look at the area, there's, you know, I listen to them and they talk about how they're stuck on the ground waiting to take off and the best place for them to go is out in the country, which is where we were. Um, but, you know, I look at people like even in Texas where you have you know, wide expanses and areas where you have to drive a half hour because that's the closest airport to you uh, living out in the country, et cetera, except for, you know, maybe some of the crop dusters. But that is something that uh, it varies also by your geography. And I know some of the people that are listening now are going to say, you know, half hour, that's nothing. I mean, I'll, I'll drive a half hour to go to lesson every day or an hour even. Uh, and, you know, that, it's interesting. I'd love to hear from some of our uh, listeners. How, what's, what's the farthest you travel for your lessons and, and what's your local airport? When I was living on the beach, my, uh, my airplane was actually, I passed three different airports were closer to me than where the airplane was located. And the reason I did that was for personal reasons, because it was my friends, and we wanted to own an airplane together. And I got kind of voted off the island, basically, because I, the, the other friends all lived in the Tampa Bay area, and I was over in Pinellas County. So there's all these different reasons to join certain clubs. And, uh, you know, another thing we, we didn't really talk about, but it's, uh, you know, important to realize that a lot of flight clubs are great places to learn how to fly. Um, just because of the sense of camaraderie. And I know that uh, Victoria brought a very important point up as far as choosing a flight school. And I think uh, it's just that sense of community and flight school activity. So tell us a little bit about what, what you were talking about there, Victoria. Yeah, um, back when I learned to fly in Michigan, I didn't really have a sense of community until the end. Just before I left, I started meeting pilots around there. So it was kind of just show up to the airport, fly, go home. And I never had other pilot friends to support me or to talk about aviation with and just hang or fly. And I didn't feel like I was a part of the airport community. Um, 
till just before I left and started meeting people. But when I moved to Frederick, I immediately got that camaraderie that I've been looking for and people um, that were into the, interested in the same things I was and going through the same pro, um, process of learning to fly. And, um, you know, I was, I was kind of wondering, how do you get a good taste of that at flight schools? And um, recently, a new flight school did open up last year at Frederick um, Municipal Airport. And I follow them on Facebook, and they're doing Jeopardy nights and flyouts together. And um, I've been to the Jeopardy night, and it's a lot of fun. And, you know, that's the type of flight school that I think I would be more attracted to because they're doing all these activities outside of just, okay, here's a student, I'm teaching them, go home now. So that sense of community, you usually hear about that within clubs, but um, in your case, it's the local flight school, and I think that's really cool. It's a great way to market. Um, I know that... I think people succeed better mm-hmm. in when they have other people to learn yeah. with. I, I totally agree, and I know that, uh, Tom, I just visited your flight school uh, not too long ago. It's, guys, it's been so long since we've seen each other, and boy, it was so cool walking into this flight school and you know they have the just a very welcoming environment there's couches there tables there's a tv going on and uh, you have all these different books on aviation things that you can purchase but uh, I didn't get that feeling of hey you know what do you want what are you doing here it was just like hey come on in hang out go sit on the front porch and watch airplanes take off and land that's exactly what I did and that gave me that sense of being part of this aviation community. I thought that was really cool. Tom, besides that, is there any other things that you folks do at your airport? I know there's other things on the field. Yeah, sure. And, and you know, they, there's um, there's actually out in front, there's an EAA chapter that that's uh, close by, and they have their meetings there at the flight school pretty regularly. Um, always uh, – there's constantly people who are sitting out that that porch that you were talking of sits out by the runway. You can watch planes take off and um, people will sit out there and just talk aviation, you know, and and there's tons of people, um, you know, that, that are in and out all the time. Um, We have bunches of, I told you, we got a whole bunch of uh, flight instructors where we're try to stay as booked as we possibly can, but there's always downtime and it's amazing how many people take advantage of just that. You know, they'll, they'll hang out for a little while and all of a sudden like, Hey, I was thinking of this and have a question. And, and, you know, a lot of times we'll just in the course of discussion, you know, it's, it's almost like free flight instruction. You know, they come out and what do you think about this? And it's a way for them to gain more information and keep their head in the game with flying. And, and it's, we, we promote that open environment to do something like that so that our students can have the benefit of other people who are more experienced in aviation. And, and that keeps them coming back. You know, we offer, um, you know, lots of intro flights and things like that. We try to get people involved. We have different days where we bring um, other people in and have like a, you know, like just a coffee and donut breakfast thing one morning. And, and that seems to bring a lot of people in just to see if they're interested or not. And, and um, that's part of that giving back to the aviation community and, and really need to be a part of an organization that, that looks at it that way. And you're at a really small airport, but even at some of the larger airports like where I am over at Lakeland, uh, I actually tell people, hey, let's hang out in the terminal and watch airplanes take off and land because we actually have this unique scenario where the building is two stories high and we'll go upstairs and lo and behold, there's another friend that's uh, into flying right there. There's a restaurant next door and we all get to talk and have you know great aviation camaraderie. It's really, really cool because there's all these flight schools on the south side of the field that you know they're all accelerated and the collegiate, et cetera. And, 
Uh, and some of them you see people hanging around, but this is somewhere where everybody can come. Uh, and what's interesting is, Dan, I, I think uh, in your school, you are an accelerated flight school, but did you have that experience of people actually just kind of hanging out and, and having that camaraderie? Well, at, at my particular school, it was actually kind of required for you to be there. So, yeah, we did hang out a lot. Um, the, not a big sense of community. We, we knew that we were all there for a very short amount of time, six months. Um, so, you know, we, you made a couple friends and then you left. Um, but I, I think th- that this point that Victoria brought up is probably, in my opinion, the most important one when looking for a flight school. Um this is what I tell people who are, uh, you know, asking me, hey, you know, I want to get my private certificate. You know, how do I go about this? What, what's my first step? And when you go out there to find a flight school, you're going to go online. You're going to look at their website. You know, if they've got a decent website, that's a plus. Uh, you're going to look at their rates. You know, all of these things are going to talk about the types of airplanes they have, the cost, et cetera. But what's really the most important thing is that you need to feel comfortable where you are and you need to get along with the people that you'll be spending all this time and money with and you need to feel welcome. So you need to put your boots to the ground and you need to go out to all of these different flight schools and you need to talk to the people. That's how, that's how we do things in this world, right? There's six different flight schools here uh, just, just for fixed wing in, in Las Vegas. So when I was going out to try to find a flight school and now doing it all over again, looking for, um, a place to employ myself at, you know, as a, as a flight instructor, I'm going to each individual flight school and I'm just walking in and saying, here I am, here's my situation and here's what I'm looking to do. You know, what do you offer? And, and from the, the first two minutes of being in that, that school, I know whether or not I want to give them my money. Okay. How friendly are they to me when I walk in? Are they giving me their attention? And then, um, when you do actually choose a school, then we talk about getting, you know, picking a good instructor. And, and all of these things are very important. We're talking about camaraderie and getting along with people is finding the place that that makes you feel welcome and that that you feel like you want to be a part of. It's extremely important. And feeling welcome, yeah, I think that is important. Some of the schools do a better job than others, and some airports and FBOs do a much better job than others. And that's a whole other podcast. It's like something that we we do wrong a lot of times is we don't welcome everybody in the door. And uh, people are getting better, though. I will say that, especially through some of the efforts of AOPA and, and some of the other EAA and all the other organizations about being friendlier to people coming in the door and having that sense of community. So hats off to AOPA for doing that. Uh, but one of the things that I've noticed is that people, when they hang out, they really do have those discussions and you learn so much more. And I think that's really cool. And it makes you want to be there. And that's really what this is all about. Because why do you want to do this as a hobby? We're competing with sailing, we're competing with boating, we're competing with golf, etc. And, you know, if you don't have that sense of community like they have in those communities, then we're going we're gonna to die on the vine. And we want everybody, we want everybody to be included in this community, people from all different backgrounds. And I think that is quite important. Victoria's point was important, too, is that, you know, you have different organizations that are out there that are on your airport. You have 99s and you have, you know, women in aviation, EAA, et cetera. 
And those are communities you can become involved with. But I love the organizations that want everybody to be there, uh, and they do like a joint venture uh, with different events. And I know that uh, Victoria has done that, especially at uh, Frederick there. And I think that's really cool. I think it's awesome to tell everybody, hey, listen, anybody can do this, and we want everybody to be involved. Uh, so I think that's that's just terrific. So hats off to you, Victoria, for doing that, by the way. Um, but, you know, even though we have a community <clears throat> and we want to fly, and uh, there is this, ooh, there's this little sticky kind of uh, topic, hard to talk about. And I think Victoria is the one that brought this up, and uh, you know that's that's financing and uh, and financing your your flying. So, Victoria, why don't you start us off on on what you were talking about there? Sure. Um, I will preface it with back when I first learned to fly because I didn't have a community. You know, it was I just showed up at the airport and I figured, oh, I'll do this, you know, a few times a month and I'll become a pilot in no time. I didn't realize how much time and money that it really took to get this done. I was I never had someone say, oh, it'll be about, you know, 10 grand to get your private pilot's license. So um, when I finally realized how expensive it was. I was at a school that um, didn't have any agreements with um, loan companies and I didn't know where to get money from and I wasn't, you know, in a college or anything that I could get funds from. So I eventually moved to a school that did uh, Sally May loans, which uh, many schools don't do anymore. So uh, that that's one thing I'd always look into to see if financing is available through that school, if they partner with someone that does financing. And then also there's a lot of um, like block rates. I notice uh, schools do if you pay up front for a certain amount, uh, you can get uh, a block rate price, which our flight instructors probably can tell more about because I haven't done that in so long. Interesting. And the, you know, I, I remember that if you put up like a thousand bucks or whatever, you can get a discount, et cetera, that type of thing. But uh, Tom, at your flight school, do you have any type of discounts or any type of availability for financing? Sure, and and you know, there's there's companies that are dedicated to doing them. The rates are really um, not all that great, but it depends on how how far somebody wants to go with um, a commitment towards doing this. Because you know, learning to fly is definitely that. It's a commitment. It's a commitment of time. It's a commitment of money. It's a commitment of resources. Just all sorts of stuff to get to a certain goal, and that's why there's you know such a low percentage of the population that are actually pilots. But that said, you know, there are different ways that um, companies will work with you. Um, obviously, they're not going to give anything away. Um, they're not out there just to, to serve you. So they're not going to give you their services right off the top. But um, you can work with people, you know, and, and it helps to ask the questions um, and look for places. We're talking about flight schools here. The very first flight school that I went to um, offered a, um, a discovery flight, which is basically a flight um, was 20 minutes. Really, nobody makes any money. I mean, the flight instructor doesn't make any money. The school doesn't really make any money. Everybody just kind of breaks even on the thing. But it's an introduction. And when I got back on the ground again, they had a, 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 um, um, a promotion where they were uh, – it was a, a certain cost and it was a, it was like kind of the block time thing Victoria was just talking about. It was 10 hours of um, 
uh, airplane time, 15 hours of instruction, a headset and a logbook for a certain amount of money. And, and you purchased that. It was basically called a quote unquote solo course. And that was enough for to get me interested that uh, I, I actually did that. And that's what got me going in this thing in the first place. So, um, and there are flight schools that will do different things like that. Um, the block time, a lot of schools will do that. If you're um, going to show a commitment and put um, some money on account to start with, and it's usually in the thousands of dollars, they're willing to um, take percentages off of, of um, um, rental rates and, and, and instruction rates and things like that. So it's it's what you can look for and how you can do it. Instead of just blindly walking in and just shelling out money to do this, um, you, there are creative ways that you may be able to um, help your cause, if, if you will, um, as opposed to just, you know, flat out playing it out of your pocket. And Tom, I'm glad you brought that up because there's also free money out there. It's uh, through scholarships. And, uh, you know, obviously I published the aerospacescholarships.com and uh, it doesn't matter what age you are. There's scholarships for everybody. And uh, to give you a little hint, you don't even have to buy the guide is uh, we have uh, students at the school and this is how they go about finding scholarships. And, And again, you can be 50, 60 years old. They'll go on Google and search for scholarships, and they'll go to the last one. In other ones, the ones that don't get the most hits, and they'll apply for those scholarships. One of the things that uh, you know we found in doing this guide is there's so many scholarships out there that nobody applies for. Maybe just one person or two people apply for. So if you were able to actually apply for that scholarship, you may be number one or number two on the list, and bam, you got it. Uh, there's actually organizations, and I know that uh, you know Victoria actually works for one of the organizations that has a scholarship. And I, and Vic, I can't remember if that was uh, if that's available to everybody, but it's really everybody, really cool. everybody. Okay, so uh, there are some out there that and and uh, that will give you a scholarship to do additional training. It doesn't matter what it is. And here's an extra five hundred. Here's an extra thousand dollars. I have a student uh, right now who is paying nothing for all of his ratings because all he does is search Google uh, for scholarships, et cetera. And, uh, and that's kind of what we do all day is we have you know, staff just looking for scholarships. I had no idea when I started this project like four years ago, there were so many, there's so much free money out there. Tom brought up a point as far as uh, financing. There's, uh, there's been some issues in the past with all these financial organizations. And I will say one thing one, that you have to be careful of is don't, don't put too much money down when you go to a flight school because it's happening again. It happened in the past where people would you know, drop ten, twenty, thirty thousand $30,000 and that company goes out of business and you cannot get your money back. Uh, so be careful there uh, as far as financing is concerned. Uh, and just, just if it doesn't seem right or if you want to ask somebody else do that about financing, if it's more than one or $2,000, you might want to think twice about dropping that kind of money for that. So look into the finance options. But, you know, like Tom said, boy, those rates, I think they're like 14 up to 20-something percent. I think the lowest I saw was 14%. And that's still pretty, pretty high. So um, anyway, uh, Victoria, you had a point about that? Yeah, um, I was just gonna. I was just thinking the aircraft makes a big difference too. I went to a flight school once that had all brand new glass panel aircraft, and while that is amazing and some great stuff to learn, you can cut a lot of the costs by you know picking their Cessna one hundred and fifty or an old one hundred and seventy two. It makes sense too. You know, it's uh, going to be a lot cheaper with the old one hundred and seventy two or the one hundred and fifty, et cetera. 
uh, that's for sure. So uh, discounts and financing, a good thing to ask about. It's uh, something that <laughs> I know we, we all have to pay for it some way or another. So anyway, the uh, moving on to the next thing that I think is really important, and this is another discussion. might go a little bit long tonight because these are some very important points. We want to make sure you, you're able to find the best flight school for you is, uh, Victoria, you, you actually brought up a really good point, and that is uh, something that we all have to do. We think that we don't, but we do, and that's what? Picking your flight instructor, right? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Leading into. Yeah, I'm like, I said something great. What was it? No, I did. It was um, picking your flight instructor, making sure that you have a good relationship with someone. You know, you walk into the school, should you interview them or just take who they assign you to? Right. I think it's important to talk about that. I'm, I'm one that I love to, uh, to actually talk about which instructor you should use. And um, just for instance, like when people would come into our school, <clears throat> they would say, hey, you know, go with Carl because, you know, this and, and uh, you know, he's very patient, et cetera. But I think that's, that's really, really uh, important. Or just make sure that you, uh, you pick Tom or Russ, who's actively flight instructing right now, right? And, uh, and say, hey, hey, good idea. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we can do that. Because <laughs> they need to make a living too. But uh, it, it really is important. Um, one of the things that you have to find out is their reputation. Uh, you may not get along with everybody's personality. One of the things that I've noticed, there's certain people that love people to yell at them, et cetera. And I, I don't get that, but hey, that's the way it is. I'm not that kind of instructor. I'm very laid back and <clears throat> I'm happy with anybody. And I think everybody should actually, you know, be involved in this aviation world. I know one thing that's kind of interesting, too. Victoria, I want you to comment on this. When people used to come into the flight school, and especially the females, a lot of the, the, the person that was at the front desk say, hey, go fly with Carl. And I think one of the reasons, and it's, it's, this is the only reason, is I would treat everybody the same no matter what their background, you know, what their sex, their religion, whatever it is. I, I, it didn't matter. Uh, in my mind, everybody was the same. We're all here trying to to try to become a pilot, there are other instructors out there. It's hard to get that feeling until you actually start talking to them. That may feel different, <clears throat> even in this world we live in now. That's it's certain things haven't changed, and that's really important. So if you uh, find yourself in a situation where you're not comfortable, or you're with somebody who's of a who's your instructor who really starts saying things that they shouldn't, it's time to move on. It's time to find another instructor. Uh, that that's for sure, and uh, you know one of the things I I did is I had I had to go through a bunch of different instructors. My very first instructor was the best. Unfortunately, I had to move, and then I find another instructor who you know some of the things that he was saying I totally disagreed with, and I just we just had to stop. I mean I was like, gosh, you know I I just can't do this because I have to cringe every time you say something. Uh, he was extremely sexist, etc. And I was like, you know, I'm I'm moving on. I just just can't do that. Um, I know. Was it Rush? You were saying you've actually you went through more than one instructor, right? When you were actually getting your private. Well, sure. When I like most people, I went to get my private pilot license. I f went down to the local flight school, said, "Hey, I'm here. I want to learn to fly." And they said, "Okay, fly with, you know, Joe, whatever." And and I flew with Joe, and probably once or twice, and. And, and actually for me, it wasn't so much a conscious effort of, I didn't get along with him, but I didn't, you know, it wasn't quite meshing, but fortunately the next flight, he wasn't available. So I went with another guy and, and I, that actually happened, um, 
four times before I said, okay, um, this one I'm now, I, I like him. I'm going to try to stick with him. And it, from that point on, it was a conscious decision on my part to always try to schedule the same instructor. Uh, that, you know, that seems obvious to most of us now that, yeah, you want to stick with the same instructor, but for new pilots starting out and same way when I was doing it, we didn't know. We figured any instructor is as good as anyone else. And, uh, you know, why would I, why wouldn't I just pick whoever, you know, take whoever's available? But, uh, yeah, find one you like. I mean, this is going to be a long, ex- a long, expensive, time consuming process as we've talked about, but you know, it, it's beneficial to you to, to try out a few instructors, you're, it's not going to set you back in the early, you know, in the early goings or anything, uh, you know, try three, four or five instructors out and see who you mesh well with and then try to stick with them. I think that's, that's worth the, uh, worth the time to do. Well, what do you do if you find an instructor? You just don't get along. I mean, how do you, or, or there's something wrong with that instructor? Uh, what do you do? Well, the first thing I think you have to realize is that the, the student-to-instructor relationship in flight training is, is different than a lot of us are used to. I mean, especially, especially if you're young, uh, you know, maybe fresh out of high school or whatever. You know, you're, you're going to high school or college. You, you show up for a class, and your instructor is your instructor, and they're, you know, that, that's it, right? <laughs> you, know, you don't get to pick. You don't get to choose. You don't get anything like that. If you don't like them well... <laughs> you get over it or you drop the class, I guess, right? Which might not be an option. So we're used to having uh, those people who we see as being an authority over us. And it's not really the same way, I, I don't think, with, uh, with well, really with any kind of adult-type education, whether you're learning to play the guitar or, or learning to fly or whatever. Um, in that situation, like we're talking about flight training, you really are the boss. I mean, you're the one paying this, uh, paying this instructor. I mean, if you had a, someone mowing your lawn and they weren't doing a good job, you'd find someone else, right? It's the same deal with flight instruction. If, if you're not getting along, it doesn't have to be that they're necessarily doing a bad job. There's just something that doesn't mesh, you know, something that between you two isn't quite clicking. Be open with them. I mean, most flight instructors, I think, would be, they're going to probably realize that you're not clicking probably before you do anyway <laughs> and, and to be open to talking about it and say, Hey, look, I, I, I just don't, just don't know what's going on here. Maybe we, maybe we could try something different or, you know, I'd like to go fly with, with another instructor. And that's fine. If some, if one of my students came up to me and said, you know, they wanted to go fly with someone else, I'd, I'd, I'd encourage it. I want them to learn how to fly. And if it's not with me, then I've got some other recommendations for them, but take ownership of that process and, and, if you don't like who you're flying with or you're not getting along or you're not clicking, make a change and, and, and try to make it before you go too much further down the, uh, down the rabbit hole yeah, that's of, for sure. of cost and time commitment and all. A, a great point because then you're going to spend more. You know, that, that, sure. gonna, that's for sure. Um, and speaking of costs and, and, and changing instructors, that actually can get quite expensive. Um, and I know Tom, you've you actually make this point is that it's good to have somebody that's going to be with you through your whole rating. Um, why do you think that's important, Tom? Well, it's just for the consistency, like you just mentioned. It's it's about um, being consistent and and um, using your resources wisely. Um, when you've got to start back over with another instructor, he's got to learn you. You've got to learn him, and it, it, it it's a it's a minor setback at times for to be able to um, you know be able to um, pick up with somebody else 
Um, the, the other point that I was making with that is, you know, having instructors that, um, you know, Victoria said something about like interviewing uh, instructors, you know, um, that's a great idea. You know, I, I encourage people to come in and ask me questions because, you know, um, I wish I would have known some of the questions to ask, like, you know, um, what is that instructor's career goals? Is he there just building time? Is he going to be gone in another month or so because he's got, um, you know, already has interviews uh, or resumes out to the airlines or wherever he's going? And, um, you know, is he going to be around through my entire training? And, and that's kind of important to know that. And, and I try to have those conversations with my students, keep them. Um, I, I let them know what I'm doing, you know, what what my uh, what my near term goals are and what I'm trying to accomplish myself. And does that fit in with them? Because it may behoove them to go find another instructor. Maybe what I'm doing is just not going to work for them. If they're going to need more time than what I can give them. And then picking an instructor, uh, you were just, uh, it's kind of interesting you said him. There's there's a, predominantly, a, it's a, it seems like a, a male-dominated world still. And uh, I'm wondering, Victoria, as far as when you were out there looking towards an instructor, uh, were there any challenges that you had? Uh, looking at it from a female perspective and those that are, are listening right now that are females, any advice you could give there? You know, I, I don't think it should matter whether the CFI is male or female. Um, initially when I started, I felt more comfortable and actually sought out a female instructor and it turned out she was not invested in my, um, education. And so I moved to a different instructor and, um, all my instructors have been male since, and some have worked out and some haven't. So it's really about a matter of your comfort level, really a good instructor, wouldn't see that you're a woman or a man. It wouldn't matter to them. They're creating a pilot and they're, they're doing something that they're passionate about. Yeah. I very much agree with that statement. Good point, Victoria. But uh, there are, there are very few female flight instructors. I'm with the one who um, just opened up the flight school here in Frederick. Uh, she, that is female owned and operated and she's the only female CFI I know that's actively flight instructing at this airport. Interesting. All right. Well, good points there. Um, Tom, uh, moving on to, you know, picking in a flight instructor, we talked about interviewing them. Another thing you have to pick, too, is is your syllabus. And uh, a lot of people here, Part 61, Part 141, for those getting started, uh, is is there a big difference and in, in why should we consider 61 or 141? And what are they, really? So, Tom, what can you explain those? Sure. So, you know, part 61, the basics, the basis of it is, is with part 141, I have an FAA approved syllabus that I go through. Um, it's a, it has a TCO, which is a training course outline, and it's a very specific way to get from one end to the other. And, um, the, the part 141 course that we have saves you five hours of cross solo cross country time. So basically, in the end of the day, you're going to save money because you're not going to need to do the amount of flying that you would do in part 61. However, it's very structured. I have lessons from lesson one and, and through phases, and, and we have to follow the structure to get from point A to point B. Part 61 just allows me to go through and train a student basically any way that I see fit. I can go out and say, well, let's go out and do some slow flight today. And then the next day we can go out and go, oh, let's go do a cross country. And we'll go up to Ocala and back to Crystal River and back. And I can, I can tailor his training based on what the weather's doing that day or whatever else and still get myself to, um, from a means to an end. 
Um, as long as I fulfill the requirements within Part 61 on what type of training that that student is getting and that he's getting all of that stuff, I can do that any way I see fit. The 141 is, is, is a more structured way of doing it, and it, it is approved by the FAA. And another point there, too, is some people are, say, using their GI Bill. A lot of times they require, say, a Part 141 school, et cetera. Uh, so you may have to look towards that. Sure. And, and that's actually another level of it, too, Carl, because not every 141 is capable of taking the GI Bill. There's, there's other applications and things that you have to go through for that as well. Exactly. And I think that's important for those of you that are looking to use the GI Bill. Uh, you know, make sure you look into that and, and also interview them and interview the school and see how long it's taking those folks that are going through the GI Bill. I work with a lot of folks uh, that are doing their training through with the GI Bill, and uh, not every school uh, is doing it properly, and a lot of schools take advantage of those folks coming through with the GI Bill. And what I mean by that is they can actually drag out your training because it's based on, if you're associated with a school, it's based on uh, you know the number of uh, months that you have left on the GI Bill. And uh, you know, just be careful. Uh, and I, I've heard, I just heard this recently, you know, a school telling a student that, you know, what does it matter how long it's taking you? You're not paying for it anyway. Well, that's not the point. Uh, the veteran actually earned that. And uh, that person is using that to move forward in their life. They may not uh, be flight instructing or doing this as a career. They may be doing it as a part-time career, as an additional income, as something that's going to help them uh, with their life and move forward. So I think it's it's really important that you look at at the the background. You know, the, as far as have they had issues in the past. Uh, so Part 61, Part 141. Uh, one of the other things that comes up is that in Part 141, the syllabus and everything is very structured. You can also have that on a Part 61. Uh, I know that I use the Part 141 syllabus, uh, but I can tailor it just like you said, Tom, uh, to change things along the way and make it specific for the student I'm working with. Um, so anyway, the, the next thing we're going to talk about is, and I think this is important, Tom, you brought this up, is uh, the type of aircraft and their maintenance. So tell us a little bit about what you meant there as far as type of aircraft and maintenance. Sure. If you're going to go, you know, check out a flight school, this is where you're going to fly. What kind of airplanes are they flying? You know, are they using Cessnas? Are they using Pipers? Are they using, you know, um, Technums? Are they using Cirrus? You know, there's, there's all these different training centers. And then on top of that, you know, it, it may be just a flight school that has a single airplane. You know, um, the other question that you want to know is who's maintaining that aircraft? Does the flight school have its own maintenance facility? A lot of flight schools do because they kind of feed off of each other. The, the flight school supports the maintenance side. The maintenance side supports the flight school in, in different times of, you know, economic woes, if you will. Um, and, and that's a, a symbiotic relationship a lot of times. But you want to know who's taking care of that airplane. Do I have access to the mechanics who are taking care of that airplane? If something breaks on it, can I go find somebody that can fix it right away? Um, you know, what, what do you do when there's mechanical issues? If, uh, you know, you, you blow a spark plug, am I going to be down for three weeks trying to find somebody to go get it fixed? And, and those are the kinds of questions you want to ask up front before you start dumping a bunch of money into flight training. You know, how are you going to, how are you going to, how's that plane being maintained? And overall, what does it look like? You know, when you go out to this flight school, go out and look at the airplane, what kind of condition is it? In? You know, does, um, 
I mean, does it look like a wreck or does it look like it's well taken care of? Is, does it look like it's been given some love or the people that are flying it, you know, helping to keep it clean? You know, does it, does the flight school provide things like, you know, a rag and some windscreen cleaner so that you can clean the windows when you go out before you fly? Little things like that, you know, you can tell by the way that they keep their school and the way that they keep their airplanes will be a good reflection of how what type of um, flight training you're going to get. So one of the things there that's important is the, uh, you know, in looking at an airplane is a lot of times, yeah, you're right. If they have, uh, you know, if they have an aircraft that's dirty, et cetera, and oil, you know, spewing out of it, that's an indication as to how they maintain their aircraft. So that's a, that's a really, really good point. Um, you know, one of the things too is how, you know, the regular person though has a tough time trying to figure out how to, how they maintain their aircraft, don't they? I mean, you just walk in and say to them, hey, can I see your maintenance records? You know, how would you know what to look for? Right. You, you wouldn't know to begin with, and it's part of the training that you're going to receive as you start becoming a pilot. I really didn't learn a lot about maintenance logs and how um, particular a lot of those things were until I was well into learning to my private. Um, I had a good instructor who, who um, showed me early, you know. Um, I've had I've had people who have told me, you know, just in talking with different pilots and stuff like that, that they didn't see the maintenance logs of an airplane until the night before their check ride, which just, you know, appalls me. I mean, I, I try to get my students through early on and show them what those things are and what they mean to them regulatorily and, and how they need to use those things. But you're right. When you first walk in, you may not know that, you know, that um, to what level they need to be maintained. Um, and that's another thing of, of talking with other pilots. And, and, and learning as much as you can and keeping your head in the game so that you uh, learn how to ask the questions. Because you're right, Carl, we don't know what we don't know. That's for sure. That's for sure. So type of aircraft, how they're maintained. And I think the last item that you actually placed on the list here, uh, you talked about pass rates. And what do you mean by that? Sure. I'm going into a flight school and, and, and asking, you know, I mean, so of all the pilots that uh, come through here and do training, how many people complete how many people complete your entire uh, training how many people actually pass their uh, for their ratings on the first time again these may be questions that you might not know how to ask initially you know hopefully you're listening to this podcast right now and you go hey that's a really good question i should go in and ask that because you want to find out you know are um uh, are you training a whole bunch of people that and they go in and it takes them two three four times to to uh to actually pass their practical by the time they get to the end of the training you know if that's the case at a school you might want to say hmm, i don't know if i want to go through this because it sounds like it's gonna cost me a whole bunch of extra money at, at the end of the day and another thing too is you want to look at their records say they are a part 141 school and find out if they've had any issues and uh, you know, I see schools that have had their 141 certificates taken away or their, you know, their certification, I should say. They they really, um, it, it's indicative of a few things. Uh, they may not have a lot of 141 students, period, so it may not be a problem, but you really should look into it. If there's a large failure rate, then, hmm, there's an issue right there, just like you sure, said. Sure, with it's, the it's pass a red rates. flag. That is a yep. big, big red flag. So just because they don't have their 141 certificate anymore does not mean there's a problem. Them, you really want to look into, like you just said, with with the uh, the pass rates and that kind of thing. So yeah, absolutely. Right. And on the 141, there's there's very specific rules to how many passes that you have to have and how many students. And you know, you got to have a certain amount of students in a certain amount of time, and a certain amount of them have to pass at a, at a certain time. And if you can't maintain that, the the FAA um, revokes the 141 status. 
and and you don't want that happening. That's for sure. If you're if you're a larger flight school, uh, one of the things that I've I've also found out is when we're looking at pass rates, there's also those internal pass rates, and there's certain things within stage checks that type of thing. Is are people having to redo things over and over again? Uh, not necessarily the FAA stuff. And that's indicative of a couple things. It may be the instruction. It also may be the fact that maybe they're trying to, you know, keep some, you know, keep you <laughs> bringing you along and and uh, making some extra money on you, which I think is kind of unfair. So important to look at those pass rates. Um, one of the things too that I I think is really important. We've talked over any all these these things in our list. And if anybody else has anything to add, please. Uh, let me know uh, now because we I think we've had this really good discussion. I know we've gone a little bit long, but I think this is incredibly important before the new year to do this, to look into the different schools and the type of schools, why you're going there, what type of ratings you're looking towards. Uh, and I think that's that's something that we need to place out there. And this is an uncomfortable conversation to have sometimes uh, with your instructor. And I think you need to have those, you know, what, what is your pass rate, that kind of thing. And, and those, those are really, really important. So, uh, but anyway, really, really good, uh, good comments here. And I think that's it. one of the things though, that, that I think I found as far as other folks, and I know there's this new stuff online, it's called Yelp. And I, I don't know, there's other things that are online there too, is you find people that make on forums, et cetera, make anonymous type of comments i think you have to take everything with a grain of salt and follow up with those people and uh, like tom what what are your feelings as far as some of those comments that you hear and, and what are the best places to find those as, as far as what is you know just the flight for, school and uh, you know how you know as far as the instructors etc you know the uh, i listen to podcasts i listen to you know um just other things i try to listen to my students you know i ask them because as a flight instructor, I go through and I'll, I'll spend time with a student. I go out, fly with them, and when we come back, we talk a debrief, and 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 we go through a critique, and we I, I get to critique the student about how they did that day, whether it was good, bad, ugly, whatever the case may be. But at the end of every one of my lessons, I also give my students the opportunity to critique me. I want to know what I can do better, how I can serve them better, how I can, um, how my instruction style can change to that end. And and then I also tell them, you know, is there anything that we can do as a flight school? What are some of the things that we can do here? And and, and um, you know, try to listen to those comments there. Terrific. And with that said, I think this is, uh, you know, we, we've gone a little bit long, but this has been great discussion. I really enjoyed having everybody's input on, you know, what's the best flight school for you? And if you're listening right now and you have some other suggestions as to what should be on our list or things that we mentioned and you want to make comments on, make sure you go out to the Facebook page, facebook.com slash stuckmikeafcast. Also, another thing, too, uh, we made it easy, just uh, stuckmikeafcast at gmail.com. That's an easy way to find us there. And uh, send us your feedback, uh, please. We want to hear more from you as far as the challenges maybe you've had. Uh, we'll, as a matter of fact, if you have an interesting story, we'd love to read it here on the podcast about how you, the challenges you had and also the successes you had in finding a flight school or anything you want to add here. Our picks of the week. 
Uh, with that said, let's move on to our Lane checklist and the picks of the week. So uh, everybody has their picks of the week. And one of the things that I think is uh, important to add to this, and I, I was looking at our discussion, is uh, the scholarships guide that we uh, produce. We're coming out with the 2018 scholarships guide soon. It's aerospacescholarships.com. You can find it at Aviation Careers Podcast, uh, and you also can find it at aerospacescholarships.com. We have an online directory. We're kind of going more towards the Amazon and the iBook store, and it's really become popular. We're you know, selling them every day, and people are saying it's really working. Remember, it's for everybody. I do know the majority are for those students that are going to college and, and doing this as a career, but there are also many other scholarships uh, like the ones that are out there for air pros and uh, for the other corporations that are out there that want to promote aviation in general. They want people to fly. They want people to get their ratings, and I think that's terrific, and that's where you can find them at aerospacescholarships.com. So that's my pick of the week. week. Uh, Russ actually has has a really interesting pick of the week kind of lean, leans into that and I think there's a, a little bit of story behind this too and I think this is really cool so Russ what is your pick of the week yeah Carl thanks um, it, interesting I guess so well because uh, Victoria you're actually part of my pick of the week How yes about that? <laughs> so um, and it, my pick of the week is actually uh, the company she works for, which I think I can mention. Carl, is that okay? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. It's Aviation Insurance Resources. Um, because as a flight instructor and I do some commercial uh, pilot uh, work as well, I'm always finding myself flying in other people's aircraft, like is fairly common. And often it's a good idea to get me under insurance uh, so I can ferry the airplane somewhere or whatever for various reasons. I, I like to be added under insurance. So I'm working with insurance companies pretty regularly, uh, especially if it's a make and model that I've never flown before, trying to figure out how to get insured in that airplane. Uh, well, recently, this is actually a couple months ago, but it's the first time I've been back on a podcast since then. Um, I was asked to train uh, someone in a make and model I'd never flown before, although I had experience in some similar makes and models, and actually two of these right in a row. So the first one, um, I was asked to, to ferry an airplane and train them in a G36 Bonanza. So that's a, a 36 series Bonanza with a G1000 panel. Now I've got time in the A36 Bonanza and time with G1000s, but none actually in that make and model. Uh, so the insurance agent and I kind of went back and forth with the underwriter for several days, but the underwriter would not budge. Uh, they wanted 25 hours of exact make and model, period. And so needless to say, that job kind of fell through and the owner had to find someone else uh, on pretty short notice. Actually, with two days of notice, so it was put us kind of both in a bind there. But literally the next day, I had a, almost the identical situation. I was asked to fly an owner's uh, Piper Saratoga, the turbo retractable version, uh, with the Avidyne panel. So like before, I had similar experience, which was time in the fixed gear version of the turbo Saratoga, but none with the retractable, retractable model. And also no experience with the Avidyne system itself, though I had some other glass cockpit experience in different uh, uh, forms. Well, I called up the owner's agent, and who answered the phone? <laughs> Victoria. <laughs> so so that, that was pretty cool. It's like, I know this um, voice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I, I gave her my, my flight times over the phone, and literally within 30 minutes, I had an email saying I was added to the policy there were no checkout or any other requirements that I needed to meet. And it, it was fantastic. I mean, the, the previous one took days and we got nowhere here, you know, talk calling up Victoria took 30 minutes and we got exactly what I wanted. Um, now 
for listeners of the podcast, understand Victoria and I are here on the podcast together. We've never really met. We've, we've never met in person. And no. honestly, we don't really know each other that well, to be honest. Right. Um, but you know, she made it work out. I now fly regularly for that owner. I mean, I, I was blown away the, the complete difference in, in the way the uh, situation was handled. So Victoria, thank you very much. And, uh, my pick of the week is, Definitely Aviation Insurance Resources, uh, www.air-pros.com. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's so great to hear. Well, thanks, Victoria. It helped me out a lot. Yeah, yeah. anytime. Really important to have a good uh, insurance agent that can work with you. That's that's for sure. Oh, yeah. Made yeah. all the difference. Oh, yeah. Makes a big, big difference. Folks at AirPros are great. Believe me, I've, I've dealt with them quite a bit in the past. Um, anyway, the next pick of the week is Rick. Rick, what is your pick of the week? Yeah, I um, this is a quick one uh, that might come in handy over the holidays for people. And I just I came across this because I have a small small child in the house who, um, uh, th- though the show is a little young for him, got to watching um, a show that's on Amazon Prime um, that might come in handy if you find yourself with grandkids or your own kids and time to fill. You can do a little indoctrinating of aviation with them, and it's called Super Wings, and it's a it's a really cute, very young kid. Um, show that happens to feature planes and the planes, the planes talk and, and they travel around the world. And I, I read some comments online about, about the show where people were saying, well, this is supposed to be educational, but, uh, y- you know, you, you can't fly planes that far or you can't, whatever it was, you know, there's some, and, and it isn't that kind of show. It's not a literal, let's teach people how to fly. It's, um, it's, it's planes as a central part of the story to advance other, other lessons about the world and uh, other countries and other cultures. And yes, it's not realistic because the planes fly the planes. I'm sorry, the planes talk. Uh, so, uh, but it is fun. And if you find yourself with little kids and time to kill and you want to start them early on aviation, uh, Amazon, uh, prime, uh, it's free. Uh, and it's called super wings. So there you go. Airplanes don't talk. I thought I was mine talks all the time. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy, super wings—that's cool. I, I'm definitely gonna have to look that one up. Yeah, and, uh, and there's a whole, there's a whole line of toys. I mean, the merchandising flows right from it. But but yeah, it's it's cute. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for that pick of the week. That was awesome, Eric. And uh, great for the holiday season. Just saying, you can find a link to it right here on the podcast show notes. So super wings. Uh, it's in the Amazon store. And Victoria, what is your pick of the week? My pick of the week is NASA Live. It's just nasa.gov slash NASA Live. And um, if you go there, when something isn't live streaming, it'll have a list of all the upcoming live streams they're doing. But I always love to uh, check it out because of SpaceX, um, watching those rockets uh, launch into space and watching them out. the land back down on a barge in the ocean. The landing part is pretty impressive. Oh my goodness. I know. It's Stick it's amazing. Away. It blows it blows my mind. So definitely check out the schedule and see what's coming up because it's it's pretty cool to watch history uh, be made. If you grew up with NASA, like I did, and uh, two things, TV coverage of this kind of thing was was not very advanced. It wasn't their fault. It was just it was you know early in in that technology. Uh, that plus the ability to land a launch you know, stage rocket back on land vertically is, it seems miraculous. And every Usually time I people watch, are cheering for the takeoff, but like right. watching this thing land is right. the coolest. 
Yeah, it's very cool. So I, I heartily agree with uh, your pick. Awesome. So how do they do this, the live? Is it like on Facebook or something? How, how does it stream? It's streamed on a number of sites, but NASA's, NASA's site has it, right? Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. Yeah, nasa.gov slash NASA live. Awesome. And we'll Multiple find that in cameras. the show. Yeah, I mean, it's just the, 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 the detail to which it's covered. I mean, even the launches and how far out they get shots of the stages separating is pretty impressive. And they have people explaining it yeah. before it happens. They talk about the countdown, what's going on, and then we'll discuss it afterwards as well. So it's, it's an educational experience versus just watching a video. Yeah, it sure has come a long way since the first time I watched them land on the moon. So it's, uh, yes. yeah, for those of us that were, I guess, alive during that period, yeah. you know, or remember it, et cetera. Yeah. <laughs> so really cool stuff. I love NASA. They they have some really amazing things. But NASA Live is, uh, for those of us that are really into this stuff, space geek stuff, It's you could sit there all day and watch it. It's awesome. But, um, and well, there's also many different things in aviation, aerospace that you can learn on NASA. It's uh, some great explanations of things on their website. Just go searching around. Uh, anyway, Victoria, awesome pick of the week. I really like that one. Uh, next, uh, Tom, what is your pick of the week? Yeah, so um, you know, I've I've picked some weather products before, and I, I'm just a uh, I love being a weather geek. Um, so anyway, I was perusing through, and I just thought, if you're not using this thing um, that I'm about to talk about, you should be. Um, so when they ended the area forecasts on aviationweather.gov. Um, you, you can't get the area forecasts anymore, but what, if you do go to look for it, it'll send you to a link that takes you to a um, graphical forecast for aviation. And this tool is awesome for planning. It is just so cool to go in because it graphically shows you. And what it, um, the thing that the um, area forecast, that was the only place where you used to be able to find where the tops of the clouds would be um, for any given area. Um, you had to dig for it, and it was a lot of reading you had to go through, and it was all those text lines that you would go through to find that information. Um, this tool, this uh, graphical forecast, just shows it to you graphically. You can zoom in and out all over the country, and you can set it up to uh, look at the clouds, and it'll tell you what the bases are and what the tops are going to be, which is um, – and it's given – 12 hours worth of information um, so that you can really go through and start um, planning um, what types of altitudes you're going to go flying at and stuff like that. It it lines it up with ceilings and visibilities and pilot reports and thunderstorms and satellite views and radar and winds, turbulence, icing levels. um, All of that stuff is all located on one page and um, to zoom in and out for. And uh, if you're not using this thing, you should be. So wait a minute, the text area forecasts are gone? Uh, you know, uh, it's funny, I, I say it that way because, uh, you know, I work with a lot of students who, and instructors who had no idea that it went away. And uh, yes, it's gone, but this is a great resource here. So uh, again, if you do look for those area forecasts on their website, aviationweather.gov, it'll actually give you another, you know, a, a big banner saying, hey, yes, uh, they are no longer doing the textual area forecast. It's not, now all graphic which i think it's cool because a picture is like a thousand words i just made that up the uh no i didn't that's so that's awesome uh, tom i i think a lot of folks don't realize that those are gone uh the textual area forecasts so uh, something new i cannot remember when they took that away uh but this is a great pick of the week so you can actually believe, realize that. believe it was earlier this year yeah it was it was a while ago that's for sure uh just shows you how much we really use them and this graph is so much better that's for sure so check that out for safety so our, our, our last uh, folks, Dan, uh, had to drop off. But, uh, you know, with that said, he has an incredible pick of the week. 
AOPA.org, their Learn to Fly initiative, they also, under their Learn to Fly initiative, they have a whole listing of schools. We've been talking about schools here. So AOPA.org slash Learn to Fly school. And there's a whole directory of all the different flight schools that are out there, collegiate flight schools and uh, 141 schools, 61 schools. So it's a, a great resource. I will say not everything is in there. There are schools that are missing from there. But it is a very good resource to uh, to look towards. So aopa.org slash learn to fly slash school or just look in the show notes here. Well, guys, this has been an awesome discussion. That's for sure. Uh, really appreciate what, uh, having Dan on the podcast uh, and, uh, you know, looking at the Accelerated Flight School podcast. That is just awesome if you're looking at a Accelerated Flight School to see what it's like. If you're somebody that's, say, career-oriented, that's a, a cool podcast. It's also a cool podcast to realize if you're looking into a school that's just for one rating uh, and what type of challenges there might be there. So uh, anyway, folks, this has been awesome. I love listening to the feedback from you, and I'd love to hear more feedback uh, at stuckmikeavcast at gmail.com. And uh, we look forward to the new year. Remember, the next episode, we're not going away. It's just the next episode is uh, the best of 2017. If you have any suggestions, please send us those suggestions. Well, folks, it was great talking to you. It was great having everybody here on the podcast. We'll talk to you next episode and safe flying. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.